Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. My essay this week is called Numbering Our Days. It's based upon the lectionary text for Sunday, October 26, 2014. It's the season for birthdays at my house five of them in ten weeks, including my mother-in-law's 90th birthday. She's still going strong, and why not? Her mother lived to be a hundred. When you're a kid, birthdays are the stuff of parties with pointed hats. The years roll on, and birthdays then provoke jokes about getting older. And then at some point, birthdays become poignant reminders of the passage of time. In Deuteronomy 34 for this week, Moses lives to see the promised land and then dies at the ripe old age of 120. He's then buried in an unmarked grave. In Psalm 90 ponders how a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by. No matter how long we live, our years vanish like a puff of smoke. They wither away like dry grass. If you're looking for a great movie, consider Boyhood by the director Richard Linklater. Dan Chisholm calls it a great film, the greatest American movie I have ever seen in a theater. Boyhood is about the passage of time. It's a time-lapse experience that makes real what we can't see at any single point in time. Linklater filmed Boyhood across 12 years, using the same actors to follow the life of Mason Jr., played by Eller Coltrane. Coltrane was six years old when they started filming for a few days every year, and 18 when they finished in 2013. Linklater's daughter plays Mason's older si sister, Samantha. Everyone in this movie ages before our eyes. In Boyhood, we watch 12 years of an ordinary life fly by in three hours. There's no plot in the normal sense of the word. Instead, the movie has what one reviewer calls a distinctly quotidian register. In other words, life is what happens when no one's watching. We happen upon ourselves when nothing much happens to us, and we're transformed in the process. With no plot or action, the film is simply the succession of ordinary moments that make a life. Family vacations, fights about homework, embarrassing haircuts, birthday parties, a first girlfriend, biking with your buddies, and good parents who make some bad choices while doing the best they can. As any parent of older children can attest, Mason's 12 years pass in a flash. Kieson suggests that the movie is really about time itself and how we measure it. 
My wife, for example, made old-school scrapbooks that she gave to our children at high school graduation. To say that looking at them is emotionally evocative would be a gross understatement. Or again, when Mason's family vacates their house to move to Houston, his mother tells him to paint over the door jam with the pencil marks that plotted the growth of Mason and Samantha. And today, we have Snapchat and Instagram. Within these uneventful days and ordinary lives, there's a palpable search for the sacred in boyhood. Mason asks his dad if there's any real magic in the world, like elves that really exist. He's given a toy owl, a symbol of wisdom. His dad gives a talk at school about gods and goddesses. Mason also visits his stepmother's family. They're conservative Christians, but Linklater portrays them as compassionate, kind, funny, and even a little bawdy. For his birthday, they give Mason a Bible with his name on it, along with a rifle. The scene includes a sermon by a likable Texas preacher about doubting Thomas, which concludes, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Linklater thus captures moments in time and relinquishes them as he moves from year to year. He isn't fighting time, but embracing it in all its glorious and agonizingly fleeting beauty. This sounds like Psalm 90. Teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. The gospel version of this prayer is to keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. In Rilke's famous words, live the questions. The march of time and boyhood is not only poignant, it's painful, as it is with all of our lives. It's full of honest, raw hurt. There's a terrifying dinner scene of a drunken stepfather, the ominous dangers of drugs, and the childhood pain from an absentee father who breaks his promises. And so we wonder whether Mason will not just survive the squalls of youth, but somehow grow from boyhood to manhood without suffering a death of his spirit. Life is difficult, wrote M. Scott Peck in one of the most famous first sentences ever. This is a great truth, he said, one of the greatest truths and it's a great truth because once we truly see it, we transcend it. Psalm 90 conveys a sense of what the Germans called Weltschmerz, a feeling of melancholy, apathy, and world weariness. The poem acknowledges the inherent futility to life, such that we finish our years with a moan. Whether we live 80, 90, or even 100 years, says the poet, yet their span is but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. In the words of Tolkien, we're fighting the long defeat, and nobody gets a free pass. 
Despite the passage of time and the pain of life, the psalmist doesn't cave in to stoicism or despair. In fact, he prays to be a person of joy and gladness. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. There's a delicate balance here between living in reality rather than denying it, and nonetheless trusting our little lives to God's greater providence. In his poem, The Mad Farmer Liberation Front, the poet farmer Wendell Berry thus advises us, Expect the end of the world. Laugh. Laughter is immeasurable. Be joyful, though you have considered all the facts. Ultimately, said the English mystic Juliana of Norwich, who died in 1416, the greatest honor we can give Almighty God is to live gladly because of the knowledge of his love. For books this week, I review a title by Stephen Cox. It's called American Christianity. Austin, University of Texas Press, 2014. It's 258 pages long. We often hear that America is a Christian nation, and in some important ways, that's true. But what does that mean? In this social history, Stephen Cox, professor of literature at UC San Diego, shows how wildly divergent, complex, and unpredictable is our nation's religious landscape. It's not something that can be adequately explained by the quantitative methods of social science. That's because, says Cox, the individual and the choices they make is the wild card in American religious history. In Cox's view, no general theory can fully capture or predict American religiosity. How, for example, do you explain the success of a blind Fanny Crosby or an illiterate Sojourner Truth? Who would have predicted the success of Mormons, Christian Science, Jehovah's Witnesses, Amy Semple McPherson, Harold Camping, Billy Sunday, the Two Great Awakenings, or modern megachurches? How people and movements bottle the lightning without extinguishing the fire or shattering the glass? How they experience the inspiration of the Spirit and translate it into the institutions of religion are mysteries that transcend social scientific categories. In successive chapters, Cox explores conversion and revival, the relationship between church and state in the abolition of slavery and the prohibition movement, and millenarianism, as with the Seventh-day Adventists. Another chapter considers how marginal Catholics and Episcopalians became mainstream. My favorite chapters explore church architecture and music. 
Cox never condescends to his subject. It's too fascinating. American Christianity, says Cox, is a never-ending revolution of reinvention. Stephen Cox, American Christianity. For movies this week, I review a title called Inside the Islamic State from 2014. The film, such that it is, is from Syria. It's really a propagandistic film. I watched this 42-minute YouTube after seeing it in an article in the Huffington Post. The journalist Medjandaria of Vice News gained unprecedented access to the Sunni militant group ISIS, the result of which is this documentary. Daria spent three weeks with an ISIS press officer who took him to recruitment centers, rallies, a prison, and rides with the vice squad. The film explains how in March 2013, ISIS took control of Raqqa, Syria, and made it its de facto capital, and declared Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi its caliph. Today, ISIS controls large swaths of Iraq and Syria. I say to America, brags the press officer, that the Islamic Caliphate has been established, and we will not stop. If you'd like to watch this video, you can go to our website and click on the appropriate link at the Huffington Post. But one warning. Parts of this video contain graphic violence. Inside the Islamic State from 2014. And for poetry this week, we've posted one of my favorite Celtic poems. It's called The Journey Prayer. God, bless to me this night. God, bless to me this day. Bless, O oh bless, thou God of grace, each day and hour of my life. Bless, O oh bless, thou God of grace, each day and hour of my life. God, bless the pathway on which I go. God, bless the earth that's beneath my soul. Bless, O God, and give to me thy love. O God of gods, bless my rest and my repose. Bless, O God, and give to me thy love. And bless, O God of God, my repose. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for Sunday, October 26, 2014. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.